0: Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us. As we
0: wrap up what's been
1: a very eventful week, we're going to look back at some of the things that happened this week and also look ahead a bit. We're going to be talking with Bob Deneen President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, and kind of recap what's going on with the, the RFS this week. Uh, we're going to talk with Arlen Suderman about markets and uh, what all the things that are going on, what impact they have on the markets moving forward. And we're going to talk with Chuck Connor, President and CEO of the National Council of Farmer Cooperatives, about some legislation that has been introduced to help ensure that consumer product labels are actually based on science and common sense. And we'll also get Chuck's thoughts on the Farm Bill uh, situation as we see a lot happening right now in the Senate, kind of waiting to see what's going to happen on the House side. But right now we start off with Jarrett Renshaw, National Energy Markets reporter for Reuters. And Jarrett, want to get your thoughts on what happened this week uh, on renewable fuels with the RFS, not only sure. what did happen, but also what did not happen, and and what do you think caused uh, all of this to play out the way it did this week?
0: Sure. No, it was a pretty surprising week uh, going into um, going into Monday. Actually, I think the, the, uh, the interested parties uh, believed that there was going to be some decision by the White House to move forward with uh, RIN exports, uh, E15 waiver, and perhaps some other things, and. There were certainly some uh, unrest about that, particularly on the export portion. Monday came and went with no decision, um, and then Tuesday came late in the day, and the next thing you know, um, Grashley tweets out a, uh, that the deal is dead um, and that the White House is not moving forward. And I think there was a general surprise, um, a, a genuine, I'm sorry, surprise from, 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 from folks uh, across the spectrum. Uh, I don't think many people saw this coming to myself. Um You know the best the best information I have is that uh, Trump was uh, asked whether this the farmers were on board, and he was told no, Um, and 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 that was a a done deal for him. My my suspicion, and this is not uh, you know confirmed fact, is that I think this this president does have he negotiates by brinkmanship, and I think he his hope and the administration's hope was that by by threatening to, to move forward with this he would convince or uh, uh, compel the ethanol folks to come to the table and negotiate um, they didn't they kind of their opposition stayed where it was and he didn't have anywhere else to go other than to anger uh, uh, kind of an important constituency so I, you know the politics makes sense at the end uh, and uh, but the, you know everything leading up to that still still a little puzzling
1: where do you think this leaves the renewable fuels industry and its supporters moving forward? Because they still want E-15 sales year-round. Is this going to make it harder to get? I mean, is the White House going to say, no, wait a minute, I've given, I gave in on this when I'm not going to give in on something else? Or do you think there's still a good chance they can get E-15 year-round?
0: You know, I, 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 at this point, there's nobody, including Senator Grassley and some of the other folks, who think the E-15, there's a, there's a clear path to E-15. Um I think they, the White House presented E-15 as a package deal, and once the package deal is off the table, they are of the opinion the E-15 is off the table. Um, there's been no official word uh, on that uh, from the White House or on anything. Um, I do think it's probably important to note that Trump and Pruitt both have publicly supported E-15, in some vague context of a deal, but certainly as a standalone thing as well, so I, I do think that's probably the next thing to watch. At some point, they're going to you know Pro's going to be in front of a microphone and asked some somewhere, and uh, you know I think it's important to 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 see how he responds. Um, I, I have no reason to believe that it's going to be in the, the upcoming RVO or anything like that. I, I don't see any immediate decision on the E15 front. I, I, I think there's, you know that's still kind of
1: a wait and see what do you make of the stories of uh... ted cruz and scott pruitt being seen together and supposedly uh... trying to come up with something uh... on uh... on the rfs and that at least the um, the feeling that some have is that they're trying to come up with some way to help the oil industry do you agree with that
0: uh... are certainly um, they're certainly by all, by all by all indications scott pruitt and ted cruz are both advocates for the oil industry um, So, certainly wouldn't be surprising um, if that was the the, the central focus of that conversation. You know, one thing I think to consider is like, was this was this dinner planned in advance, maybe a week ago, and and knowing that this could be some, you know, I don't know, victory lap or some victory dinner that the two of them, you know, worked hard to get uh, some of this uh, uh, some of these measures through. Um, So. I think the timing of when it was scheduled probably tells a lot about the content of the, of the dinner and that I don't know. Um, You know, if it was planned beforehand, well, maybe it was planned as a, uh, you know, some way to celebrate, which was a long journey to get into this, getting this push to the finish line. If after it's kind of a regroup session, let's, let's figure out our next strategy here. So, you know, it's hard for me to say which, which one of those two took place.
1: Okay. So export RIN credits, are put aside for the time being, but the the RFS waivers that issue still remains.
0: No doubt, no doubt. I, you know, I I mentioned this the other day that, you know, that there was a lot of celebrating on the the deal going dead, but there's certainly a lot of still a lot of issues that are still unresolved, including the, the small refining waiver, which presumably could have been a part of this this deal. So, you know. This is going to be the, the the story to watch here over the next few months, um, particularly RVO, and see how they if they try to reallocate those um, those wa- uh, uh, those waiver volumes or not. I we have lawsuits that obviously are going to take some time. I, I think there's going to be uh, some some efforts to to change some budget language to to try to address this. So I think there's going to be several pressure points here to try to compel this administration to either rein them in or um force them to reallocate and keep the fifteen billion uh ethanol mandate. So again that that that's something I still think there's a lot of there's a lot there's a lot unresolved in that space. And and I think you, that you know we're, we're gonna see.
1: Were you surprised the president kind of doubled down on his support of Scott Pruitt publicly?
0: Yeah, I I I think everybody is a little puzzled um Given all the all the the bad news that is coming out from the EPA that that, that that the Trump is stoned by him but I guess the general thing that that I keep I keep thinking about is a he's kind of carrying out a lot of Trump's agenda and b I, I'm I am uh, not convinced it makes sense to me that the argument that getting a ne- another EPA administrator there is, is probably nearly impossible um, given the current um, climate in the Senate so I, I, I think it's A he, he likes what he's getting in terms of policy and B the altern- there's not really a great alternative because the path to getting a, an, an, another person appointed is, is, is it's filled with a lot of landmines so that, mm-hmm. that strikes me as reasonable that makes sense to me at least mm-hmm. to kind of understand the motivation um, given, given that other you know, agency heads have, have left have been pushed out for much less
1: Right. Well, a lot happened this week, but there's still a long ways to go in writing this story on the renewable fuels, that's for sure. And Jarrett, will follow your your great reporting on this. Thank you very much.
0: Hey, no problem. Thank you.
1: Jarrett Renshaw, National Energy Markets Reporter for Reuters. Coming up next, Chuck Conner, President and CEO of the National Council of Farmer Cooperatives on AOA.
2: Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, the inventor of my pillow, and like all of you out there, I had problems sleeping. And you can wash and dry my pillow. And here's my best offer ever. Get four My Pillows for the price of one.
3: That's right. Get four My Pillows. Two premium pillows and two travel pillows for the price of one. Order My Pillow at 800 871 7280 and use promo code FARM11. Get four My Pillows for the price of one. Call 800 871 7280 and use promo code FARM11. Go to mypillow.com and at checkout, use promo code FARM11. The Mighty Prosaro king of fungicides. Its fast action and long residual make it the keeper of grain quality and yield, the hammer of head and leaf diseases, the number one reducer of scab. When your goal is greater wheat quality and higher yield, use Prosaro fungicide and the crown of higher profit will be yours. Learn more at prosaro.us. Always read and follow label instructions.
5: call to receive a free dvd and brochure and find out how you can own a thermospas hot tub for only a few dollars a day right now they're offering zero percent apr financing with approved credit and a one thousand dollar savings coupon including free delivery free chemicals and a cash discount
0: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams.
1: The National Council of Farmer Cooperatives is praising the introduction of legislation that would help ensure that consumer product labels be based on science and common sense. To talk about it is the president and CEO of the National Council of Farmer Cooperatives, Chuck Conner. Hi, Chuck. Thanks for joining us.
6: Mike, great to be with you again. Hope you're doing well.
1: Doing well. Why is this legislation important, do you think?
6: Mike, over the last decade or so, we have seen a tremendous increase in the number of uh, labeling regulations for food products and manufacturing products across the country being imposed by state governments and localities, um, where those requirements have absolutely no basis in science by which they were put in place. This greatly interferes with interstate commerce. It adds to the cost of uh, food and a lot of other manufacturing goods. And the purpose of this legislation is basically to say, you know, if, if the state or locality has a scientific basis to do something, they're free to do it. But if they don't, then, then there's got to be a priority system in place to, to eliminate those non-science-based rules and requirements in order to you know, promote interstate commerce, in order to promote you know, fair and accurate labeling uh, that is based on real evidence and real science, not just uh, you know, what may be the latest trend with nothing behind it.
1: And you cite it as an example of that uh, confusion of, uh, of a state law uh, being one that we're seeing out in California.
6: Yeah, Mike, Prop 65, you know, is just wreaking havoc with uh, the food industry and a lot of other industries in California. Uh, requirements, costly litigation, uh, labels for consumers where they, they don't have any idea what those labels mean to a point now where they're, virtually ignoring them now that you know we're we're required to to label coffee and all kinds of other uh uh, additives that occur naturally you know in our uh, uh environment uh it's you know it's just a system that's run amok and this legislation would address that but this is not the only purpose of the legislation this is not you know against prop 65 we're seeing this show up all over the country in state and localities and uh you know, again, our our point is, we want them free. Uh, you know, if they see a regulatory need to do something, we want them free to do it. But it's got to be based on solid information. It, it just can't be based based on some whim out there, that uh, latest trend. Uh, you know, coming off of uh, Twitter or Facebook. I mean, they, these are just not positive things. And and we want to provide a system whereby the the. Manufacturers have the ability to to require some science behind these rules and regulations.
1: So this legislation that has been introduced, how would it, you think, address the issue? What 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 does it bring to the table that we don't have right now?
6: Well, it basically gives the manufacturers who are being required to impose these uh, very burdensome labeling requirements, it gives them the ability to go, you know, directly to a court where where these kinds of things can be litigated and heard quickly doesn't bar the states this is not you know preemption if you will like our gmo situation but it but it does give priority in terms of uh getting this issue resolved in the court and getting us back to some kind of a science-based standard
1: so it's been introduced the legislation's been introduced but it's got to go through the hearing process then get to a vote so it's got a ways to go yet
6: it's got a ways to go, Mike. We have been very clear in saying, you know, this is not going to pass in the next few weeks or, or maybe even the next few months. Uh, this is a long-term project. Uh, we've got bipartisan uh, support for the bill, a lot, of, a lot of bipartisan co-sponsors in the House in particular. Uh, you know, we, we want to be transparent in this, uh, look, you know, look at some, uh, some hearings and review, uh, but, but this is an important issue, and it really kind of does go to the heart of a lot of the future challenges we're going to face and not only food and agriculture but a lot of other industries where states are just simply going to be more and more aggressive in imposing these requirements which again we're not against if there's any science behind them but so often today that is not the case and that's what we're trying to correct
1: we're talking with chuck connor president and ceo of the national council of farmer cooperatives chuck you have uh, been involved in a lot of farm bills over the years and uh we're going through that process again right now. It looks like the the Senate Ag Committee will um, have a markup of their Farm Bill next week, next Wednesday. Um, it looks like at this point, it's a lot smoother sailing so far on the Senate side than what we've seen on the House side. Uh, what are your thoughts on this Farm Bill process? And uh, uh, obviously, this becomes a pivotal month in both the Senate and the House.
6: Yes, Mike. I mean, this has been a real challenging farm bill so far, and uh, they're all challenging, but this is this one has been particularly difficult. You know, we've lost another vote in the House of Representatives, and that's never a good, you know, a good situation out there in agriculture to lose those farm bill votes. But I will tell you, Mike, I'm still um, relatively optimistic that we can get something done, you know, yet this year. Uh, The Senate has an agreement between uh, the two leaders, uh, Chairman Roberts and uh, Senator Stabenow. That's a huge step forward to getting something through the Senate, which, as we all know, is a a much more difficult process than getting something through the House. So I anticipate we're going to see some pretty quick action in the Senate. uh, That hopefully will motivate the House to try this again. Uh, The House is also working on some of this immigration stuff that was a factor in the the farm bill failure uh, they seem to be making some progress there as well. so you know overall uh, you know this is not a revolutionary farm bill it's one that uh, that is going to continue a lot of what we've had in the past that people are comfortable with and I just believe given that fact that we still ought to be able to get it done this year.
1: The Senate's going to stay away from the uh, the the food stamp changes that have kind of held things up on the House side but it's going to be interesting to see, on payment limits uh, of course senator grassley continues to push hard for those it looks like he may be doing that more in an amendment rather than what may be in the markup itself uh what what are your thoughts on on that ongoing debate
6: well obviously payment limits have been around with every farm bill that i've worked on you know in the last four decades uh, mike and uh, this farm bill will be no exception you know, my general sense is here is that uh, we're, we're probably um, in a situation where most producers are pretty comfortable with the status quo. It um, doesn't mean that it was liked, but it was a, you know, a reasonable compromise from years past. And at the end of the day, I can't imagine that we're probably going to make dramatic changes in that. We're going to talk about a lot of changes, but we're not going to make any dramatic changes um, going forward. So we'll, we'll just have to see, but this is always a, a highly contentious
1: issue. And speaking of highly contentious issues, they've got plenty of them on the House side with the food stamp program and some other issues, but first, uh, got to get through a, a an immigration vote, and we know that's contentious.
6: Yes, uh, and we know that this is a, a big issue for American agriculture, Mike. As you and I have talked to in interviews in the past, uh, this is a substantial portion of of the agricultural workforce in America today is tied up in this immigration debate. Uh, We not only have an interest in it, it's fundamental to our very existence as food producers for this country. So we've got a lot at stake. If we could get something worked out to solve agriculture's immigration problems, that would be one of the best farm bills that we could uh, ever do for our producers as well.
1: I was going to say, in some ways, isn't that immigration issue a bigger issue than the farm bill itself?
6: Well, short-term, short it might be, Mike. They're both very, very important. You know, short-term, obviously, uh, these, these workers, again, whether it's a dairy farm or a fruit and vegetable farm or even, you know, even on a lot of crop farms in America today, you pull those workers out, uh, you know, cows aren't going to get milked, crops aren't going to get harvested. I mean, that, that it's, you know, the Farm Bill generally talks about risk management, uh, and that's important. But in, in terms of the labor, there there's no risk to be managed if uh you know there, there's no product being uh, produced out mm-hmm. there and that would be the case if we lost access to this labor
7: market
1: yeah i think that gets overlooked sometimes you can have all the programs you want in a farm bill but if the farm isn't in operation and it it won't be if they don't have the labor then that those farm bill programs aren't going to make any difference
6: yeah exactly i mean we're talking about you know some modifications to our dairy price support program that are very very important but To start with you've got to have milk to to, to qualify for those price supports so it's pretty fundamental
1: yep we'll see how it all plays out chuck is always good to talk with you and good to get your perspective on these things my best take care take care all right thank you chuck connor president ceo the national council of farmer cooperatives on that uh, farm bill on the house side freedom caucus chairman mark meadows telling politico this week he doesn't think much has changed in terms of the farm bill's chances on the house floor saying We had a condition, and that condition has not been met. He said that referring to conservatives' demands a foreign immigration vote before a vote on the Farm Bill. Uh, He wasn't saying too much about the Farm Bill's chances for passage, just saying I haven't focused on it. It's a good question, but I haven't focused on it. So there's still work to be done on the House side to get those votes uh, to pass uh, their version of the Farm Bill. And again, next week we'll start seeing some action with markup on the Senate Ag Committee side for their version of the Farm Bill. Well, what a week it has been for Renewable Fuels. We're going to talk with Bob Dineen, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, to get his take on what has happened and where they go from here. Next on AOA, Adams on Agriculture.
4: Time for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson for the American Ag Network. Mixed in early Friday trade with tariffs and trade concerns expected to be discussed at Friday's G7 meeting in Quebec. The president saying he's looking forward to straightening out unfair trade deals at that annual Group of Seven meeting. Trump singling out tariffs on U.S. dairy products in another scathing tweet directed at Canada just before that summit begins. For corn futures, we've seen fractional changes early on this Friday. Soybean futures bending a fraction to three and a fraction lower. In the weather, we're talking about good conditions for much of the Midwest. Forecast pointing to moderate to locally heavy rain for much of the Midwest over the next seven days. Meanwhile, in wheat weather, forecasters saying southern Russia is expected to continue to be dry over the next couple of weeks. We are firm in the wheat futures an hour into the trading day with Chicago wheat a penny and a fraction higher, two to three and a fraction better in Kansas City, and a fraction to one and a fraction higher in Minneapolis spring wheat. In corn, We cracked key support yesterday, 377.5. That level now becomes resistance. For soybeans, the near-term trend pointing lower. We've got major daily chart support at 965 and a quarter, the January low. Livestock at the Merck and live cattle futures on this Friday, trending 50 to 90 cents higher. Feeder cattle steady to 42 cents better. No reportable trade in cash cattle country yesterday, according to DTN. Lean hog futures forty to a dollar fifteen higher. Cash being called a buck or two better at the upper Midwest terminals. On Wall Street, the Dow down a point, S and P down a fraction. July crude oil in New York up nine cents. I'm Rusty Halverson for the American Ag Network.
0: information America's farmers and ranchers need to know Adams on agriculture now back to Mike Adams all right
1: welcome back so what a week it has been for renewable fuels but in the end was it a good week or not a good week I guess it depends on how you want to look at it, half empty, half full, that uh, tank of fuel. Let's talk about it with Bob Dineen, president, CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Bob, thanks for joining us. Okay, what's your assessment? Uh, in the end, What, you, where you're at today compared to where you were at on Monday, has it been a good week or not?
9: Well, I believe it has. Uh, look, thanks to our champions like Chuck Grassley and Joni Ernst and uh Secretary Perdue, we were able to avert what would have been a really bad deal. Uh, Any proposal that uh, would have allowed exported ethanol to count toward the domestic RFS fuel requirement uh, would have done great damage to both the domestic demand and our export market. So uh, we averted uh, a really bad deal. Now, we, we also haven't gotten what we need, which is the year-round use of E15. But uh, I don't believe for a moment that that is dead. Uh, I think the uh, administrator, if he's uh, listening to the president and following the statute, uh, will look for an opportunity to get RVP done, uh, or the year-round use of E15 done, sooner rather than later. Um, so I, I view it as a, as a good week anytime that uh, you avert disaster.
1: So on the E-15, it, is it now harder to get that waiver, thinking is the president more apt to say, hey, I I, I backed off on the uh, the rent credit deal, so I'm, I'm not going to be as, uh, you know, maybe not going to give you the R, the E-15 waiver, or do you think he's still uh, supportive of that, as he said in the past?
9: Well, you know, <laughs> two months ago he instructed EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt to go ahead and get RVP parity for E15. I think it's easier to do now because it's not complicated by, uh, you know, some of the ancillary issues that allowing ethanol exports to counter the RFS would have entailed. Uh, now that you've killed that proposal, uh, perhaps you can get RVP done alone. Look, refiners don't need any more help. Scott Pruitt, over the past several months, has taken care of. Refineries quite well, thank you very much. He has destructed more than one point four billion gallons of r f s demand by giving waivers to highly profitable companies that do not need a hardship waiver. so enough with the refinery nonsense uh It's time to start trying to create demand as opposed to destruct demand and I think now that this deal uh that Ted Cruz may think was such a great deal for farmers but clearly was not uh is off the table. Let's, let's get down to the business of doing what makes sense for farmers, what makes sense for consumers, what makes sense for this nation's energy policy, and that is providing consumers options with lower-cost, higher-octane fuels at the pump.
1: I guess we should never say never. Ted Cruz is still saying the deal's not dead. Do you think that's just uh, political posturing, or do, you, do you, uh, uh, are you concerned that it might not be completely dead?
9: Well, look, in this town, nothing is ever completely dead, and there's always an opportunity for it to come back. But I think Ted Cruz is, uh, you know, cheering for a victory of hope over experience. Experience suggests that the, farm, that the president is going to support farmers. Experience suggests that uh, his notion of more relief for, for refiners doesn't make sense and has been rejected by the president several times already. Uh, so he may hope that he's able to convince Scott Pruitt to bring it back, uh, but I do not believe that uh, that uh, Ted Cruz is going to be successful in that effort because it just it makes no sense. And the president, how many times does the president have to say, I'm for the farmer before Scott Pruitt decides he's going to listen?
1: So if Scott Pruitt is blocking things from getting done, such as E-15 waiver, and keeps granting these RFS waivers, uh, undermining the RFS, uh, but yet the president has come out again publicly in, in strong support of Scott Pruitt. So uh, it's an interesting uh, uh, mix that's going on here with EPA and the White House.
9: Well, Washington is a strange town, and sometimes, uh, you know, when uh, you're given a uh rousing endorsement, it is a prelude uh to uh kick out the door. So, you know, who knows what's really gonna happen. I'll tell you this, uh Scott Pruitt is on a uh very thin uh rope right now and uh he doesn't need uh any more problems and uh he he's needs to start listening to the president. He needs to start uh abiding by the statute he needs to start recognizing that farmers uh, have a role to play in our nation's energy policy, not just a bunch of refiners that uh, are from Oklahoma. So we'll see.
1: So, so you think it's like when an owner of a sports team comes out in praise and prays in support of the coach publicly that uh, coach is kind of under fire, usually they wind up fired shortly after that?
9: <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, from uh, your mouth to God's ears.
1: Bob Denim, President CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Meanwhile, Bob, you're going to go ahead, right? I mean, uh, with your with the legal action you're taking against EPA on the RFS waiver issue.
9: Yeah, there's no question. We we think what Administrator Pruitt has done with granting 33 waivers and destructing more than a billion gallons of RFS demand is completely uh, beyond his authority, and he's abused the statute. And we want to make sure that uh, we get those gallons back. So uh, we've been forced to go to the court. I have every confidence that uh, we will succeed. And uh, I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, <laughs> having a victory at this in this at the end of the day.
1: I want to get back to the E15 waiver situation. I mean, right now we're into June, so we, we've lost E15 uh, for the summer months. So does that tell us it's not going to get down this year. I mean, are you looking at best case scenario for next year?
9: Well, look, there's going to have to be a notice and comment um, and a, a regulation finalized for this to happen. So, yeah, I do believe that uh, you know this summer was lost. Uh, you know, not this week, but a while ago because of Scott Pruitt's failure to act earlier. But uh, you know, that's why I think it's so important that get moving now so that we don't lose next summer. We, we have to have this done, and uh, the EPA administrator has to uh, stop putting refineries first, uh, think about putting consumers and farmers first, and get an energy policy ma- that makes sense for this country.
1: There's a lot of talk right now about trade, and obviously that impacts ethanol and ethanol products, and there's a great promise and hope for Uh, expanded export some are even saying that you know that's where the the great uh, uh, positive and great growth potential is for ethanol it's outside of our borders how do you view that
9: oh it's absolutely true look our export gallons are up 50 percent versus a year ago so we are increasing our export market and we will need to continue to do that it is the key to the success of this industry If uh, Scott Pruitt is going to destruct demand here domestically, we've got to be doing everything that we can to create markets, uh, you know, in exports. And we are doing that. There are opportunities in Mexico, opportunities in Japan, opportunities in India, hopefully at some point opportunities in China, in the European Union. We've got a lot of work to do, uh, but we are, you know, working with the U.S. Grains Council and other industry partners to make sure that that happens and uh uh it is a critical issue for us
1: what about the industry here uh bob as far as growth uh, do you see our new plants coming on old ones being expanded what's happening in light of all that this that's been going on as far as the the investment within the industry
9: well there are uh some new plants that are going to be coming online soon more importantly there's Expansions that are happening uh, all across the uh, the industry, uh, you know, in Minnesota and Iowa. Uh, one plant, Alcorn, just finished up a uh, sizable expansion just a week ago. Uh, so you know, we are growing, uh, but we need demand to grow along with our increased production. We could be doing a lot more, uh, and we are poised to, to do more. But you can't in the face of uh, an EPA administrator that's doing everything in his power to thwart growth, to reduce demand. Uh, and so, you know, hopefully uh, we'll get that turned around and the uh, entrepreneurial spirit and the innovation of farmers and ethanol producers across the country will uh, see another uh, boom in, in production.
1: So I, I keep wondering about this. Do you think President Trump has said to Scott Pruitt change the way you're doing those waivers or is he just leaving it up to Scott Pruitt, you know, kind of making it known this is what I'd like to see done, but giving him the leeway to make those choices and decisions?
9: Well, uh I think you probably uh know uh, you know the president's style as, as well as anybody. I mean he is not one to uh leave things uh you know <laughs> for interpretation. I am very certain that he has instructed scott pruitt to stop with the waiver nonsense and to provide market opportunities for the year-round use of e-15 and i'm sure that he did it directly and i'm sure that he did it emphatically Uh, the fact that scott pruitt has yet to uh, act on uh, that instruction is confounding to me uh, but uh, we'll see
1: All right, Bob, what a week it has been, and uh, we still got a ways to go with this. Always interesting and always good to talk with you. Thanks, Bob.
9: Thanks, Mike. Take care.
1: Bob Danine, President, CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. So we'll watch this closely. The White House, the President continues to pledge his support for farmers and for the renewable fuels industry. Uh, We'll see if EPA uh, gets on board with that or not. Arlen Suderman up next, Chief Commodities Economist for INTL FC Stone. Lots going on with the markets, trade issues, and more. We'll get into all that next on AOA Adams on Agriculture.
7: Do you need a car? Been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit, low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit doesn't matter. Bankruptcy or divorce, it just doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, your job is your ticket to your new vehicle. We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you.
2: Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, the inventor of my pillow, and like all of you out there, I had problems sleeping. And you can wash and dry my pillow. And here's my best offer ever. Get four MyPillows for the price of one.
3: That's right, get four MyPillows. Two premium pillows and two travel pillows for the price of one. Order MyPillow at 800-871-7280 and use promo code FARM11. Get four MyPillows for the price of one. Call 800-871-7280 and use promo code FARM11. Go to MyPillow.com and at checkout use promo code FARM11.
1: I'm here to tell you that your options for getting out of debt have never been better. How do I know? Because I'm Howard Devorkin, the founder of Consolidated Credit. For nearly two decades, we've helped over five million people just like you. And every time we help someone, they all say the same thing. Why didn't I call sooner? If you owe too much money on your credit cards and you feel that you'll never be able to pay it off, The hard part
3: is over. Call Consolidated Credit now. 1 800 489 7204. 1 800 489 7204. That's 1 800 489 7204. 5701 Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Licensed Debt Management Service Provider, Vermont and New York Banking Departments, Maryland 49, Oregon DM 80031.
7: All right, crew, let's get her dug.
0: Information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams.
1: All right, welcome back. So I I just find it a fascinating question, you know, on whether or not has President Trump instructed Scott Pruitt to change the way they're going about these RFS waivers? If he has and Scott Pruitt's not doing it, how is he getting away with it? Why is President Trump letting him uh, get away with it if he's told him to stop or change and he's not doing it? I, it's fascinating to see how this plays out, but uh, uh, it's gone to court and maybe that'll bring some resolution, but those things take time. Uh, meanwhile, the President pledges his support for the uh, farmers and renewable fuels industry, but he's got an EPA administrator that seemingly has a different agenda. So. Uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how it plays out. Very curious to me uh, how it is playing out and why it is playing out the way it is. Maybe Arlen Suderman has some answers to all that. He's Chief, e- Chief Commodities Economist for INTL FC Stone. You, you want to answer those questions, Arlen? You got any, got any theories on that? Okay, we lost Arlen, we're going to reconnect. I Maybe he didn't want to answer the question. <laughs> you know, but I, I think it is interesting. You know, Bob Dineen feels that the president has instructed uh, Scott Pruitt uh, to stop granting these waivers the way he has, but uh, so far he's not done it. Arlen Suderman with us now. Arlen, I was just saying, uh, if you got any answers on this RFS issue, is is the president letting Scott Pruitt run amok here, or is he telling him he should change and he's not doing it, and why is he letting him get away with it Got any qu- answers answers any of those questions
8: I wish I did you know it's really interesting as the deal makers generally has this image of being in control of the people around them yeah. but yet we've seen this repeated pattern of cabinet members just kind of going off on their own and doing their own things so to speak so I'm really not sure what to make of this the one thing that we do seem to be hearing from our people I'm sure you've heard it uh, is that he does, he pulled back from this deal, so to speak, because he heard that it wasn't good for the farmers. And so uh, the farm constituency seems to be very important to him going into these midterm elections. That's the good news, I guess, for agriculture.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, that's the good news. Uh but it's just it's mind-boggling to me uh, this whole Scott Pruitt situation. So, we'll see how it plays out. Meanwhile, we got the G7 uh, summit and the presidents talking tough uh, on trade again and uh it's going to be interesting to see the reception on this and and what it means for these trade deals moving forward.
8: Reception has such a positive feeling. I get the feeling that's not going to be the feeling in this weekend. Uh the already reports that there have been uh, Conversations that have been less than comfortable with several of the leaders ahead of the summit, and uh, certainly he's ruffled the feathers uh, with the tariffs against many of the countries involved in this summit. Uh, I think the market that's one reason we're pulling back today is just everyone cautious going into the weekend what kind of headlines might come out. Uh, And and then we follow that up with uh, the Singapore summit next week, which I think is very tied to the Chinese talks. I think we'll see if that summit in Singapore goes well, that we'll see the uh, Chinese talks start to advance a little faster as well.
1: You know, a lot of people in agriculture are nervous about the president's uh, approach to NAFTA and what he's had to say about NAFTA. But one area that we know is a concern is the dairy area, and he's been hitting that head on here in the last day or so.
8: He really does he seems to have a handle on what the impact is for the u.s. dairy producers and uh i'm sure that'll be a topic of conversation uh this weekend whether it's the directly between he and trudeau or the people under them talking about it i'm sure it's going to be a factor and, and of course he's talking now about uh individual uh, agreements with canada and mexico which is how nafta started in the first place i think it'd be much easier to reach an agreement with canada and then bring Mexico along similar to what we did the last time.
1: So how do the markets view all this, and what's their approach, do you think?
8: Well, first of all, there's the financial markets, which are really kind of setting back. Um, we've been on a big upswing, and say, well, we've had a lot of profits this week that came into the week with the Dow. it been up six 600 points on the week, and so we said, okay, we got the uncertainty of, of the G7 meeting. Let's take some profits. Uh, the grains, on the other hand, though, I think the traders are more focused on the chart damage we did yesterday, led by soybeans. Uh, the uh, Argentine drought story is old news right now in the trade. you got to feed a bull every day, and the bulls are lacking fresh fodder. We'll probably see a much stronger export campaign in the fall as a result of the Argentine drought. But by then, we may be looking at a big U.S. crop, so there's no fresh fodder for the bulls for the, in soybeans, and they broke through chart support. And, corn tried to hang on, uh, supported by the strength in wheat, but eventually pulled corn through the key support, and that chart selling then really picked up, and uh, we did damage to both yesterday.
1: This wheat market has been interesting.
8: It really is, and it's been led by Kansas City. Of course, we're down today, and Chicago's leading the way down because all we're doing with this uh, soft red winter wheat crop is adding to already big stock. A hard red winter, though, the support has come from the fact that the harvest now, with test-cutting all the way up into central Kansas now, has really been confirming the low yield. Yes, where the rains fell in April, the yields have been better than expected, but elsewhere they've been poor, and particularly the heat in late May, looks like really did a number on the Kansas crop, which was about in the milk stage at that time. We took about a third of about a third off of the grain fill period for the Kansas crop, and that's really hurt yields. One farmer in south-central Kansas had three combines working for three hours just to fill a truck. Uh, that type of news has been sport of Kansas City, but what's capping those gains today is the fact that we've got big deliverable supplies of old crop wheat ready going into the delivery period later at the end of the month, and uh, so that's kind of the sobering reality, and uh, we're pulling back a little bit being uh, with the negativity overall that we're seeing in crude oil and in the grains.
1: Real quick, are you still bullish on corn long-term this year?
8: Long-term, I really am. I think the caveat, though, which I'm writing in my midday commentary to our clients today is after talking to the head of the feed grain group in the WASDE and getting a feel earlier this spring about the size of the uh, Chinese Reserve, I think they're about 100 million metric tons off based on what our sources in China are saying. So at some point in the months ahead, we've got to see an upward revision from USDA in the size of Reserve, maybe up to 100 million metric tons.
1: All right, Arlen, I know you're busy. I always appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for INTL FC Stone. With that, we wrap it up for today and for a busy week. Thank you for joining us. Always love to hear from you. Email me, Mike Adams, at AmericanAgNetwork.com or on Twitter at Mike Adams Ag. Have a great weekend. Thanks for joining us on Adams on Agriculture.